legendary career. Phil defeats Father Time. Put another log on the fire. Nobody here is getting tired. Welcome to the Fire Pit with Matt Janella. What a blur, a dream, a Hollywood script complete with the hero and the villain. It was golf's Roman Colosseum, but the one with the thumbs wasn't the assembled masses. It was Phil Mickelson. Mickelson hadn't had a top 20 since August and yet started the day in the final pairing. That was his 50-foot bunker shot at the fifth for birdie. And that was his 366-yard tee shot in the par 5 16th, which all but sealed the win. Biggest moment of a legendary career. Phil defeats Father Time. His 45th win, his sixth major championship, and we're all left in disbelief. Looking fit, walking slowly, wearing sunglasses, chewing gum, smirking, smiling, and engaging throughout, the Hall of Famer made history as the oldest on the longest. Hoist that Wanamaker trophy for the second time in your career, Phil Mickelson. You have earned it. Jim, back to you. It's going to take some time for a lot of people to have this one sink in. Well, it has sunk in by now. Phil's career and legacy gets a turbo boost into the top 10 of all time. Meanwhile, golf, in the midst of a heater of its own, was dealt yet another straight flush. What was the biggest bomb and the most hellacious seed you hit this week? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, this is the longest uh, golf course ever played in a major championship. The only way you play well here is if you hit bombs in Brandel. I hit bombs. (laughs) Before we get to the podcast, I just want to thank our sponsor, Link Soul, for leading a lifestyle brand by example. Here's Jeff Cunningham, who founded Link Soul with his uncle, John Ashworth. I always look at it like Link Soul existed, you know, throughout time, a long time before us. And it's come through all these club smiths and golf rounds and everything. And it's the soul of the game, really. And it's, and it chose John and I to, you know, be the gardeners. And, and, and it really, John and I watch it all the time. It, it, it grows and chooses what it needs to do next. And we just kind of tend to it. It finds the other people in our company to, you know, to tend to it as well. Go to linksoul.com and use promo code firepit25 for a 25% discount on your next purchase. So it was Sunday night. And like the rest of you, the fire pit collective was trying to process the situation. Social media, ESPN and golf channel. were all having a victory lap while we were chasing down Alan Shipnuck, our man on the ground, who had just filed his game story for GolfDigest.com. Laz Versailles, the newest member of the collective, 
whose backstory was just published on our website, joined us at this pit for a recap of what took place at Kiowa's Ocean Course, the 103rd playing of the PGA Championship. What was it like to be there, Al? It was electric. You know, it was just a phenomenal atmosphere. I think, without a doubt, these were the best crowds of the, the COVID era at a golf tournament. And there was a feeling in the air, like everyone was just almost giddy just to be at a sporting event around people, uh, big time events. I mean, golf missed this atmosphere. You know, the last four majors either had no or limited fans and it was just flat. And the, the, the crowds brought so much energy, even starting on Thursday. And then it just built and built with Phil, as we all know, he's the people's favorite. He has been for a long time. Uh, and then you had, you know, the, the Brooks pairing was perfect because Brooks wants to be this anti-hero and he wants to be the, the bad guy. And he struts up to the first tee like a big swinging dick. And he's just, he, he's, you could feel that, that energy. Whereas Phil, he looked jumpy, he looked tense. You know, he's working that gum and he's hiding behind his sunglasses. And, uh, and of course, the first hole, you know, is the worst case scenario. Phil makes a soft bogey. Brooks buries the birdie putt, two-shot swing, fills out of the lead. It's like, oh, here we go. And then, I mean, the, the first the first five holes were an opera, you know, with Phil making mistakes, looked like he's going to play himself out of it, jars that incredible sand shot in the fifth hole to get back in the fight. Brooks looks rattled. It just, I, there was no easing into this as a spectator. It, it, you just, these guys hit the ground going 1,000 miles an hour, and it was just, relentless uh, action and everyone sort of fell away and it looked like it was going to be a, a coronation for Phil. Then it got tense again and he started making bogeys. And just as you said, it, it was, there was, there was never a sense you could really exhale. You know, he kind of had the bag on 18 until all of a sudden he got, you know, in the middle of a, uh, you know, it was like the running of the bulls at Pamplona and it was, you know, getting jostled around and that dude comes in for a selfie, he throws him off. Like it was just up until Phil stroked that birdie putt on the 18th hole. You never knew what was going to happen. Like I was, I was waiting for a, you know, a TV tower to fall over or a jungle bird from Olympic to show up. Like it was just a sense of, of anarchy out there. It was delicious and it was fun and it was emotional and it was just, just an unforgettable tournament. The crowds, in fact, breached security, leaving Kepka claiming his bad knee got, quote, dinged. It was bad enough for Seth Waugh, the PGA's CEO, to issue an apology to the players. And it had to be Phil. Like, who better to, who better to bring back the masses to golf than, as you put it, the people's champion? You know, if, if Dustin Johnson was the perfect champion for a patronless Augusta, Frankly, Phil Mickelson kind of had to be the guy to bring back the masses of fans and like almost this ticker tape like scene kind of coming behind him up on 18, you included, Alan, but like very symbolic that he was carrying that crowd with him a million thumbs up after a million more thumbs up. And it felt like watching from home. Um, Every heart in South Carolina was beating for him, pulling for him to pull this off to the point where if he did hit something into 
a crowd, you kind of half expected it to get thrown out into a good position, which <laughs> I'm not so sure didn't happen at one point, but um, it was incredible. And also so poetic that it was Phil Mickelson kind of playing unlike the Phil Mickelson that we know, you know. I mean, that was, yeah, that was, that was part of the emotion that was baked into it. It's just, it's the most stressful golf course imaginable. I mean, it's yeah. just visually intimidating. There, there are trap doors and banana peels everywhere. And, yeah. you know, with that, that swing that Phil made on Saturday on the 13th hole kind of just flipped the tournament, you know, he was cruising and all of a sudden that was the dreaded big miss and he brought everyone back into it. And, you know, he fought hard coming home to, to hang in there and avoid any bogeys, but, you know, made a, some loose swings after that. You could see that zapped his confidence and it just led, it just, it was this dread that was inside every golf fan. Cause as, as you alluded to Matt, it, was, it just, you know, Phil's always been a high wire act, even the best of times. And, uh, you know, he did, he was definitely performing without a net out there on the ocean course. Cause every, every bad swing, you know, trouble just lurked and that, that just added to the, to the, the tension of the whole thing, it, you know, Harding Park, you, you could hit foul balls and you're still in play. Uh, Augusta National, you can you can you can play your misses. Uh, Winged foot, same. And you can go you can get down the list of championship courses that you know, there's a penalty for missing the fairway, but it's not you know near death experience like at the Ocean Course. So that that Phil pulled it out on on this venue of all venues just added to the drama and the sense of disbelief. Crazy to think that on May 11th, Phil tweeted, quote, I've failed many times in my life and career, and because of this, I've learned a lot. Instead of feeling defeated countless times, I've used it as fuel to drive me to work harder. So today, join me in accepting our failures. Let's use them to motivate us to work even harder, end quote. That tweet was less than two weeks before this win and three weeks before his next birthday. Yeah, to do it at age 50, like I can't think of another analogy in sports where somebody's pulled something like this off. And uh, I've been trying to come up with something and this is pretty surreal. I mean, it's it's hard to imagine that Phil Mickelson has been at the front ranks of the sport for 30 years straight, if not longer. I mean, even when you go back to his amateur career, it's 35 years He's, he's winning USGA events. He's winning the NCAAs. He's winning on the PJ Tour as an undergraduate. And everything that's followed. I mean, for sure, there, there was a little dip in form 2017 to 2020. But he was, you know, he, fin- he had a couple of top three finishes in the last year and a half. Uh, you know, WGC in Memphis and at Pebble Beach. And in some ways, he's bigger than ever with his, how he's embraced social media and become kind of this goofball, like the, with the corny dad jokes. And uh, he's just he's he's never gone away. And uh, you know, it's the, I mean, I, I think the only thing that's comparable is maybe Tom Brady, who's, who's not going to be doing it at fifty, but as long as he's lasted um, in obviously a, a sport that's more physically demanding than golf, but. The longevity of, of Phil is truly incredible. I mean, Jack Nicholas has obviously had the greatest career of all time, but, uh, you know, he, he was basically had a quarter century and then he faded away. I mean, Phil has outlasted Jack from just the standpoint of start to finish when, when you're a relevant contender. It's mind-boggling. And 
he's not done yet. I mean, now he's probably played his way onto the Ryder Cup. He's, uh, you know, he's he's going to Torrey Pines for the U.S. Open to try and get that elusive national championship on the course he grew up on in his hometown. Uh, he's always going to be dangerous at Augusta. Like, it just keeps going. Like, just when you thought we were done with Phil, like, he's got five more years of Phil in front of us. And I don't think anybody's complaining. He brings so much energy and star power to the whole thing. To me, he's in, he's become the top, you know, top 10 greatest golfers of all time. And it came out of, it was out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, that that's the amazing thing is he hadn't even contended in a major since, you know, 2016 when he, he lost uh, the duel in the, in the fog to, to Heinrich Stenson. But, you know, this, this felt a lot like the 2019 masters where everything fell into place, you know, and, the right guy won you know, after after tom watson had his you know had his heart crushed at turnberry you had to question how benevolent the golf guard gods really are but just as tiger in 2019 phil today all the contenders retreated i mean no one ever made a run at phil just like no one ever made a run at tiger it gave him space to kind of tread water and to go backwards and forwards and uh, I mean, really, the, the the last 27 holes of this golf tournament, Phil was just hanging on. And uh, in some ways, you know, you, you need an element of luck to win these things. And you got lucky that Brooks didn't have his best stuff, that Louis, you know, shrank from the moment, uh, that, you know, nobody nobody on the leaderboard did anything of note. I mean, Sung Jae-in was at four under and he disappeared. Uh, Patrick Cantley had a run. He fell back. Like all these guys who could have spoiled the party just went away. And it was just really adds to the sense that it was meant to be. And I mean, a- apart from Watson, which was heartbreaking, like we'll, we'll remember, I think it was 2008 that Greg Norman almost won the British Open also. Had the 54-hole lead and then couldn't really control his golf ball. And I think Harrington came snuck up and won it on him, which, you know, Harrington played great this week too, which was great to see. But, um, man, he was in control of that golf ball all throughout the day. And it was it was something to watch. Tom Watson tweeted at Mickelson, quote, Congrats, Phil, you old man. Well done. The fact is that old dog had new tricks. In 2006, he panicked and rushed his way to a collapse at Wingfoot. The fill we saw on this past Sunday was slow, and he savored every step. Don't you feel like just his whole gait and the whole flow of how the day un- unraveled was so unfill like Yeah, I was, I was standing out in the 18th fairway at Wingfoot, and I'll never forget the way Phil and Bones marched up to find that errant drive and how quickly they played the second shot. And it, it felt like this momentum had just, the, things were happening and they were powerless to stop it. And uh, it's really vivid in my, in, my, in my mind's eye. And as you said, you know, Phil doing his visualization, you know, he talked so much about, he had to see the shot and that was part of his problem Saturday, you know, late afternoon is he, he lost that, that clarity. And he would just stand there and there was a stillness about him and, a meditative quality. And I think that helped his, his breathing. It helped his biorhythms and it certainly helped him execute the shots. And, you know, they were playing slow. They were a hole behind a lot of the time, 
but I think Phil's crafty enough to know there was no chance in hell they were going to give him a slow, slow play penalty. It just was not going to happen. There could have been three holes behind. The PJ America is not going to ruin the storybook uh, ending by giving Phil Mickelson a slow play penalty. Like, and that that's a crafty move, you know. Like Brooks, Brooks is a fast player and he's antsy out there, and Phil just took his sweet time. I mean. We all can agree that, that slow play in general is kind of a, a scourge in, of the game. But in this scenario, Phil was going to do his thing and nothing was going to stop him. And it was kind of like a pitcher out there controlling the pace of the game, walking around the mound and, um, you know, working the red of the rosin bag and all that. And Phil had that that sense of like, I'm going to control this whole thing. I'm going to slow it down until I'm ready to go. And I'm sure it drove Brooks a little crazy, but Phil don't care. I mean, the, he he did what he had to do. It could be the evolution of Phil, right? Like we we see people and we see the greats evolve, whether you're talking about Jordan developing the step back fallaway jumper late in his career to kind of extend, you know, to to take some burden off of his body and the beatings he would get. He develops the fallaway jumper, right? So now Phil employs um, meditation, Right. And you see him using some of these principles and the breathing before he hits putts and the pace with which he walks like he's not going to go into he's too smart to go into this and be like, all right, Brooks Kepka, let's go Hagler Hearns meet in the middle of the ring and slug it out. Why would he do that with the maybe the biggest puncher in the game? How about. I'm going to play my game here, control the golf ball. I'm going to play a very cerebral round around this golf course and at a certain cadence and not make it into some kind of a, you know, slugfest with Brooks. And he did what he had to do. And it was beautiful to watch. And he's probably fitter than he's been in five years. He's mentally fitter than maybe he's ever been in his life. He's probably at a, a place of peace internally where, like, to your point, Matt, earlier, are we looking at one of the top 10 players of all time? I mean, he's not done writing this story. I, th I think there's more to come. And, and I think he's also going to inspire other people to do things differently in their careers and in their lives. Like I loved that moment when, you know, Herring, he, he's walking to the scorer's tent and players are walking up to congratulate him. And John Ron Rom says, I'm so proud of you. And, you know, way to go, Phil. And it's, it's the younger players. And all of a sudden he has this moment with Patrick Harrington, two guys that have been through a lot, you know, and, and, and won a lot of titles, a lot of majors. And I would have loved to have heard the words they shared right there. Um, I, I think this is a really important win in the history of the game, not just for Phil, but for our generation of players that, you know, I mean, Streelman out there trying to get things done. And it was great to watch and I'm excited for him. Well, to, to go back to your analogy of the Jordan, the fadeaway jumper, the difference is like Phil is now doing the golf equivalent of a 360 dunk in traffic, the way he's added length and explosiveness to his game. 
I mean, it, it seemed a little silly, his obsession with the long ball uh, the last few years. But all of a sudden, he comes to the ocean course, which is the longest major championship venue ever. And he overpowered it in a lot of places. I mean, look at the 16th hole today, which was really do or die for Phil. You know, his leads down to two. He's coming off some bogeys. And he mashes a 366-yard drive, which is the longest of the day on that hole. Sets him up for the birdie that really slammed the door. And so uh, he's, as you know, as, as you point out, Laz, that he does have this this mental game that seems like like a new bag of tricks for him. And he, he talked about how swing is more solid and repeatable than it's ever been. Work with Andrew Getzen, but this explosiveness that Phil has added after turning fifty. I mean, it's aspirational. Like, you know, the I mean, Matt Janella is turning. 50 this year like it's you know it's not too far behind for the rest of us like how cool is it to think that you know you, your best could be in front of you at anything phil's always been long phil's always been long yeah oh no doubt i mean that was for sure but he had he was starting to lose that i mean he was becoming middle of the pack three four years ago and now he's back to being long at 50 years old i mean it's it's an it's an incredible achievement and, you know, he had a funny line when talking about, you know, the, what great physical shape he's in. Is like someone asked, you know, what did you have to do? What did you have to sacrifice? He said, food. Like you know, The guy is a prolific eater. There's a lot of stories out there. And, you know, Tiger used to love to make fun of Phil's body. And uh, I've heard some, some classic tales of how much the guy could eat, you know, 10 In-N-Out burgers at a time and stuff like that. And it's a real sacrifice that, that he's made mind, body, and soul to put him in position to win this golf tournament. And you have to tip your cap to a guy who has got all the money he's ever going to need, presumably. He's already in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but to pay that price and, and to sacrifice and give up so much, I mean, it's, it's damn impressive. Justin Thomas tweeted, quote, Golf's insane. It's just hitting me. The golf ball has no recollection of how old you are, and players can compete at any age. You just have to work and be willing to sacrifice things others aren't. One day it's great. The next day it's awful. What a sport I decided to play. I'm just as inspired by his drive to stay relevant as I am his, you know, his success. <laughs> I mean, the his, I just think that he is so accustomed to be, this is, you know, decades now of being in the spotlight and Phil is, you know, not some guys are not good at being in the spotlight. Like Tiger Woods is not good at being in the spotlight. Uh, Phil is very good at being, you know, Jack wasn't great at being in the spotlight, certainly not early on. Um, and Phil, Arnie, Muhammad Ali, these guys, they, 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 they live for it. And I think that's a big, that's yeah. a big motivating factor to Phil to do what he needs to do so that. He's not just another name, you know, that starts a tournament. He's a guy who's, you know, in contention at the end of the tournament. And uh, he lives for the, you know, the camaraderie, the banter, the competition, the, you know, the, the fight. And it, it most often brings out the best in him. And he got, he got close, uh, has gotten close a couple of times. And, and he said, you know, that some good golf was coming and, as we know, if for four days on any given week, a guy can, you know, a guy can win a golf tournament. 
It's just that he's done it a lot more than most. And, uh, and he did it again this week at one of the longest, at the longest, at one of the toughest in bad condition against one of the, you know, one of the true villains of, of the modern game, uh, at, at a crowd coming out of COVID. It was, I mean, this is, this is insanity. Yeah. Well, you hit on, you hit on something, Matt, that's important about Phil and, behind the, the 72nd green, I'm standing next to John Rahm and it feels looking over this putt for birdie that he really doesn't need. Obviously he's, he's got a two stroke lead. And Rahm says, if I know one thing about Phil, he really wants to make this putt. And it was just a cute little moment that, that was also instructive. I mean, Phil is a showman and he thrives off the energy of the crowd and he loves the bright lights. And that's part of what's kept him going. You know, as, as you said, for Tiger, all that was a burden. You know, Tiger would have loved to have played in a vacuum, whereas Phil's the opposite. He, he, he's energized, and he, he really is a ham. And it, it, obviously, it's hurt him a few times as he's, he's taken on some crazy-ass shots, and, and they've, they've blown up. But I think that's what keeps him engaged is – and he, he just wants to show off. He wants to do things – to make people go, wow. And that's part of what gets them out of bed. That's what keeps them coming back year after year. And all these guys who burn out and fade away. And uh, I mean, like take, take King Louie, right? Who's, we all know is, is, has this incredible golf game, but he doesn't want that smoke. I think the last thing he wants to do is win a major championship with all the hassle and all the attention. And, you know, same with like Freddie Couples. There's a million guys who have as, as much physical talent as Phil but they they don't live for it like he does and that that's really a a defining factor in in a sport where you have no teammates and you cannot hide and you're all alone between the ropes and um you know phil just the way i mean i was out there for four days following him and you know i was following tiger for a million majors when the crowd was in such a frenzy but tiger diminished it because he, he he had that thousand yard stare he didn't interact with the fans and he didn't engage with them and that that got kind of mellowed things out but phil's smiling he's laughing he's the thumbs up um, people are making comments and he's kind of giving the little the little nod you know the bro nod and um and that just winds him up more because they feel seen and heard and validated uh, but that's a choice that phil makes like he wants to keep it going he, he needs that connection it's almost visceral for him and almost every other player you can think of is the opposite. They don't want their space invaded. They'd rather play in a bubble. And uh, it, it gives Phil a huge advantage coming down the stretch of these tournaments when, uh, you know, everyone's overserved and sunbaked and, and the energy's getting a little frenetic. Like he can handle it and he can channel it. And I, I think other guys, it puts them out of their comfort zone. Bubba Watson tweeted, yep, you're still the best lefty in the game. Congrats. You two grew up here. Do you remember him from his kids? I didn't hear about Phil till he got to college. And uh, I, I remember John Garrity wrote him up in Sports Illustrated. And uh, that was way before I was part of the magazine. And uh, in fact, I was, I was talking to Aaron Oberholzer about Phil. And he said, yeah, you know, I, I heard this little buzz about this guy. And I drove to, to Stanford to watch him play a tournament. And because I was just curious. And, you know, you it was just driving range talk. Like, that's all that existed back then, you know. It's hard to imagine a, a life before the internet, but you know, feels old enough that he he, he bridged that gap, and so um, he 
Whereas, you know, Tiger, he won his first U.S. Amateur the same year that Golf Channel launched. And so Tiger has been exhaustively covered his entire life. But Phil got to ease into it a little bit, you know, all through junior golf and even the start of his college career. And so there's a, a little fundamental difference in, um, in how they, they the, the relationship they had with the spotlight. But, yeah, I, I didn't know about Phil until he got to Arizona State. But uh, had, had you heard any, any rumblings, Matt? No, I, I mean, uh, I'm much the same. I, you know, I, I covered my sports through Sports Illustrated and, and ESPN, you know, uh, and, I, you know, in college, I definitely knew, I mean, you know, I was Fred Couples guy. I, I was Ashworth guy. I was, you know, and I, I remember, you know, I remember Phil with the collars up and I remember him, you know, being a, you know, a notable sports figure before I got to Sports Illustrated, which was 1995. And then once I got to Sports Illustrated, it was, you know, I got really hyper-focused on the game of golf and started as the photo editor the same week that Tiger started as a pro. And then, so, I mean, that 95 and 96, I started, you know, learning a lot, you know, very quickly about Phil and, and all that was happening. But I, I just, I just think that, um, I just think this is crazy. I, this has been such a gift. I think, you know, I said, what did we possibly, you know, do to deserve Tiger in 2019 at, at Augusta and Phil now in 2021 winning another major. And, you know, for, for me and, and my generation to think that we got to witness uh, not only Tiger, but Phil and this, this idea of Tiger and Phil, I mean, Phil early on, became the anti-Tiger. Tiger was cheap. Phil over-tipped. Uh, Tiger wouldn't talk to the press. Phil would give give him an hour and a half. You know, uh, this, you know, Tiger shied away from the media. Phil embraced it. it, it Tiger was righty. Phil was lefty. I mean, uh, the whole thing was, has been genius. This has been a, a, it just seemingly master plan by a guy who uh, is, is so aware of everything was, you know, he's become a cartoon character, quite frankly. So today it, it really felt like we were watching like a Marvel comics come to life. I mean, this was like, Oh my God, it's like Iron Man. I mean, he's, he's flying around and doing things, you know, in a suit. Uh, It was, I was like, I mean, I still right now, I can't believe that this actually happened. Tiger Woods tweeted, Truly inspirational to see Phil do it again at 50 years of age. Congrats. Six exclamation points. My little guy's too young uh, to really process what took place because he's four. But how many kids talk about grow the game and we can talk blue in our face about first tee and PGA uh, junior leagues and youth on course and, you know, drive, chip and putt, and, you know. At the end of the day, now the two greatest Grow the Game initiatives in my generation are Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. And Phil just put another supercharge into a game that's already flying on high. Yeah. Well, when you when you talk about the Tiger-Phil uh, duo, an important distinction is, you know, Tiger's an introvert and Phil's an extrovert. And a lot of flows from that. And Tiger felt like... Oh, all he had to give the fans was his his best, and, and that's all he owed them. 
and and Phil's always taken it. You know, Arnold Palmer was his role model that you you have to give something back and you have to, um, you know, that you you are working for the fans. And so, what when there's there's a story from early in his career where Phil signed autographs and his his PR guy, um, T. R. Reinman, who was then just a reporter. Is like um, he's like Phil. What are you doing, man? Like, get out of the rain, you know. Phil's like, hey, I'm working here, you know. That that's how he looked at it. Like he was gonna give his hour a day to sign autographs, and some people may think it's phony or calculated. But the bottom line is, you know, he was giving people what they they crave that you could never get from Tiger. That just that little bit of of something, and um, so yeah. It, <laughs> I mean, you could really feel it today. Like Tiger will always be revered, but Phil is beloved, and it's just different. There's just a there's just a fundamental difference between the two of them, and um, there was just a sense of of joy out there. You know, the the Masters with the Tiger won in nineteen was was catharsis. Like kind of people needed it. We needed to to put a bow on uh, everything that Tiger had been through, from the sex scandal to the DUI, um, and there's just there needed to be a, complete that arc and i think it was a, a sense of relief that he did it and uh with phil it was it was just it was giddiness and they just they just inspired different emotions and that's okay i mean they're different characters and that they give us different things but you could feel the love that, that surrounds phil and it, it was palpable ian poulter tweeted major respect age is just a number I remember being about 14, the first time I heard his name, there was a playoff to go to what was then called the Optimist Junior World Tournament. And it was at Rich Acres Golf Course, uh, right by, it. it's literally under like one of the runways at Minneapolis Airport now. But the kid that won said to a kid that lost, like, um, yeah, there's, there's this kid there named Phil Mickelson. He's really good. And then there's the South African kid that's built like a dad. Like those two guys kind of kick everybody's ass. And of course it was Phil and Ernie Els. And so I remember kind of this, you know, and you would see, you know, things in the newspaper about the junior world. And then I remember him in college and I remember him winning, you know, and, and it was just amazing to me. And he then kind of became the showman, like loved himself loved being Phil, loved the pop collar, the frat boy hair, the Yannick, the Yannick's bag was sweet. I will say that. Um, then he kind of fulfilled, you know, then you had heartbreak Phil, right? Uh, Payne Stewart makes the 25 footer at Pinehurst. David Toms jars a hole in one at Atlanta athletic club, denying Phil of these titles that everyone wanted him to win even back then, you know, then we get to that run of wins kind of in the early 2000s. And Matt, I have to tell you, I think he knew he was going to win when he woke up today. I think he knew he was going to win. I, I, I sensed that he had to fight that battle to keep down the hero, Phil, and let the thinking, Phil, the breathing, Phil, the meditative, Phil, step forward today in those conditions and get it done. I think he knew he could do that. And I think he knew he was going to win. Well, it's possible. I, I think. I think the other thing is is. I think these tools he worked on, to his credit, physical shape, 
mental shape, you know, going through a routine because it was very different than than what we've seen uh, of his past. This was a different. This was a different guy today, yeah. and yeah. Um, and you got to give him a lot of credit for you know the self evolution uh, to get him to a place where he could do what he did today. Even those sunglasses he's wearing, uh, I, mean, I use this line in my story, but it, it's a, bit, a little bit like, you know, hiding behind the tinted windows of a limousine. Like there's, it just creates a barrier between him and the fans. And even though, as we were talking about earlier, there's that connection, I think it, it just gave him a little shield where it helped him focus. And, uh, you know, the tools that you're talking about run really deep. I mean, people don't know this about Phil, but he's really into numerology and astrology and I, I think, as you're saying, like he, he, he felt it was in the stars for him to do this at some point. Like I think that that was sort of his guiding light in, in some ways. Like he, he felt it had to happen, that there was, a, there was an element of destiny, and, and he fulfilled it. Phil, Jack here. Fantastic golf this week at Kiwa. He played great. He didn't make any dumb mistakes, which is you know, the whole key to winning a major championship. You play the golf course, you did dangerous as it is, you play it very, very well. My congratulations to you. And you know, there's some, something sort of strikes me that 50 years old is older than 46. Well done, my friend. Nice go. Many more. Good luck. You know, Jack Nicholas, Tiger Woods, Walter Hagen has 11 majors, Hogan has nine majors, Gary Player has nine majors, Watson has eight, Palmer has seven, Sneed has seven, Saracen has seven. Bobby Jones has seven. Harry Varden has seven. Faldo Mickelson and Trevino have six. I mean, so uh, uh, top 10 players of all time for me, you know, I, God love Harry, Harry Varden. Uh, awesome. But uh, Phil's above that. I th- Phil's above Faldo now. Phil's above Lee Trevino. So, I mean, now you're t- Sarazen, Sneed, Palmer, Watson, Player, Hogan, Hagen, Woods, Nicholas, I mean, now for me that he's in the top 10 now, that's where he, that's where he is. That's, uh, you know, that's where he belonged. Yeah. And to Laz's point, I mean, Walter Hagen can't take anything away from that guy. What a character, what a player, but you know, did he do it for 30 years against stacked competition against athletes that were fully optimized from, yeah, Bobby Jones is awesome. Yeah. Great, you know, uh you know, retired at a young age, you know, could have done more, but this is the this is the modern era of sports, golf. I mean, you know, first <laughs> Tiger Woods and oh by the way, Ernie Els and Fred Couples and Davis Love and Colin Munger, you know, I mean multiple tours, global, you know, scene. <laughs> I mean, give me a break. He's in might be in the top five. Yeah, but like then, you know, <laughs> then like the heartbreak, right? Like Payne Stewart at Pinehurst, David Tom's like the close yeah. call. Well, six second guy. places in, in U.S. Open. Right. Six second like, places. You know, that's that's one thing that we don't give Nicholas enough credit for that. The number of second place finishes he has. But Phil, man, you know, and I think maybe that is what has endeared him so much to people. He's the beautiful loser, Right. And and when he and, does but he's also through, the winner. He's the loser and the winner. He right. does both. Right. He's he's everything we love in this country. Right. He's the 
the guy that comes so close and then finally makes it, and he's a showman, right? He's not a robot. He's not this soulless assassin that is coming to take you out. He is a sportsman. He is a showman. He is the people's champion. He is the most gregarious athlete that this sport has seen since Arnold Palmer, I would say. Oh, by the way, he's played He's played on every team event going back to how far, Al? 94. <laughs> <laughs> and and he might he might be a part of this Ryder Cup at Whistling Straits. I, I asked you Stricker that on Friday. You know, is Phil you know in, in under consideration now? He's like, oh geez, I don't know because I mean, how much weight can you put on one week out of five years? But as the the point Stricker made is that the Ocean Course is, plays very similarly to Whistling Straits, and that this one week carries a lot of weight and. If you want guys who can who can handle the heat, I mean, of course, the contradiction with Philly, he doesn't have a great Ryder Cup record, but he's he's the heart and soul of of the American side in a lot of ways. I think I don't think Steve Stricker has the stones not to pick him. Hopefully, he'll use them judiciously. And uh, but uh, yeah, it's I mean, I, I don't I don't know how we wrap this up other than to say that. What a great champion. And we are lucky to be golf fans and, and chroniclers during the Mickelson era because he made it fun. He just made it fun. With the, more than anything, he brought a certain levity to it. And he, you know, as Laz was saying, the rarest commodity in sports is class. And Phil in victory and defeat has exuded class. And he's just been He's he's livens up every room he's in, and uh, I'm I'm grateful to have had him through the thick and the thin with Tiger, and he's still going. I mean, he's just a live wire. He's just fun, and uh, that's 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 how I think about Phil. Tom Brady tweeted, "That's my quarterback, LFG. Let's fucking go." To which Phil tweeted, "We have some unfinished business. Let's get another match and find a pair to give a beatdown." Before we get to final thoughts on the impact a win like this could have on something like the Premier Golf League and or the Super Golf League, I just want to say thank you for listening and show some appreciation for our partners at ParPoints, who have developed an app that changes the way we score the game. Here's Alan Shiplock on why this app has piqued our interest. I mean, when you think about the game, as long as it's been around, the best anyone could come up with is an alternate scoring system with a stable for and that's it. I mean, there's, you know, in basketball, you can play horse, you can, you got, you have three pointers, you have two pointers, you have one pointers, like, there's, yeah, like, the golf is so static, there's just not a lot of different ways to compete. So I love the idea of just introducing a new format, because they're so rare in this sport. Download par points and go make par. It's a good time to be getting old. Is it a good time uh, for the? Uh, is this is this a good thing for the PGL? <laughs> Jesus, nah. I think this drives a stake through its heart because, like Lee Westwood said, yeah, I would do it. You know, I'm 40 years old, and they're going to offer me this money. I can't, I can't make the money anymore. Realistically, Phil just earned himself another quarter billion dollars. You know, with all the endorsements and all the ancillary income, like he needs Saudi Arabia and. 
and that whole scene less than he, he did two days ago. Like he's going to make so much money off this win endorsements and everything else. It's like, does he want to have to spend 12 or 14 weeks a year in the middle East? Nah, he's good. I mean, um, I, I think his, his, you know, his, he just cemented his place in the marketplace for, you know, until he, until he takes his last breath. So I think Phil's good. 